Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the Ladies of Anime Trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I'm joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. Without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about adaptations in anime, namely good adaptations and bad adaptations. Now, I want to preface this by uh, something I've noticed in the community recently. Uh, especially, actually, there was a new thing regarding My Hero Academia. Do you two remember this? Or are you guys on social enough to see the whole stuff happening about My Hero Academia with the adaptation complaints and stuff like that? Uh, I'm not caught up with it, but maybe Isabel is. I've seen some, but I don't. Yeah, I don't really pay attention to that. I've definitely heard of some, but I, yeah, I'm not like, too closely, like, following it too closely. Are you? So I'm not, but I am on Twitter a lot. And as you guys know, I handle our Girl Talk Good Twitter account. But essentially, an animator had actually posted a clip of, like, the of, like, a fight that he drew. But essentially, the My Hero Academia production team decided to turn down that clip because it just wasn't really feasible for the schedule as it was. And uh, the My Hero Academia fandom just had a very, very bad, like, trashing party that day on social media saying how, like, Bones had completely ruined the anime because the little fight clip that the animator had posted was like apparently looked better and was more close to the manga panels than what they got in the anime. And then they started talking about how Bones had has had diverged on all these different things from the manga and thus the anime just sucks now and they ruined the entire season and stuff like that. It was a whole thing. And to me, it was just a repeat of what I also saw with the Attack on Titan fandom during the final season. When it was just literally, you know, manga readers who are nitpicking every single panel and every single facial expression. It's, it's like practically if a hair was out of place, they were going to say that this, uh, this entire adaptation was not okay anymore and that it was ruined in some shape or form. And this is why I really wanted to, to uh, pick this episode because adaptations are hard. I don't think a lot of people realize that. And may, some people, I think, just think it's easy, especially for uh, manga, because you have art already prepared, so you know, like, you know what the art is supposed to look like. And the way that it's written, it's not like novels where there's a lot of narration. It's like actual dialogue already set in stone. So a lot of people have this misconception that they think, well, they just have to translate it into movements and then we're good to go. And basically, the anime would be perfect that way and stuff like that. Which to which I completely disagree with because, first of all, going from still to movement is a difficult nature on its own. Visual storytelling via like animation versus still form is actually quite different. You can actually you can portray a lot of things in both mediums, but you have to be able to utilize them and, and put them into and put them into optimization the best you can. As well as the fact that there are certain dialogue that when you read, it doesn't sound bad. But when you say it out loud and you hear it, it sounds kind of really weird and not quite right. So the dialogue and the story actually requires manipulation to adapt. And so this is why I think it's really important to talk, especially with 
the increase in criticisms of anime divulging any shape or form from the source material that people would complain and say that entire story is ruined. I really want to say that is not the case at all. And I think the perfect example for that that I have prepared today is a currently airing anime, which is Miss Kobayashi's Maid Dragon from Kyoto Animation. I don't think you two have read the manga, correct? No, I just watched the animation. Okay, what about you, Isabel? No, yeah, uh, I haven't read it or watched it. I've only seen clips. I think it looks really cute. That's that's all I think about it. <laughs> but yes, please. So the reason why I picked this anime is the manga doesn't even hold a candle to how good the anime That sounds is. about right. That yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. I I watched the anime because I don't usually read source materials. I like keep in mind. So I just watched the anime and I genuinely thought that, you know, the manga was something similar to that. Minus, you know, the extremely beautifully, gorgeously animated uh, animation that Kyoto Animation is quite famous for. And I and while there are parts of the story that I am critical on, for example, uh, one of the characters, human characters, is like this preteen boy, not quite like elementary school, but not quite like teenagers, like 16, you know, sort of age. Uh, he has like a really weird relationship with his dragon. She tends to like, you know, rub his face into her boobs and stuff like that. That does make me pretty uncomfortable, even though it's played for laughs in the anime. But overall, with the episodes mainly focused on Kobayashi and, and Toru and Kana and their little family unit, I found the anime to be extremely charming and relaxing. It's slice of life and it's meant to show that you know, there's a bit of magic in everyday life and maybe your magic your magic in your life doesn't involve dragons, you know? But there are, there's a lot of fun things in life that are hard and there's a lot of fun things in life that is really charming and stuff. And so, and the second season has continued to, continue to succeed in that manner. It's, I we're nearing the end of the season now, so it's probably coming to a close soon, but I've still really enjoyed the second season. So you could imagine my surprise when I did get curious enough to check the manga to see that it was nothing like the way the anime portrayed. The manga was much, much, much more emphasized on the fan service, like so many fan service. I know some people have expressed a little, you know, concern about Kana and Saikawa, the little girl who like has a crush on her and like seems to lust uh, after Kana in a very unhealthy manner. Well, that's dialed up like 10 times in the manga. That this was Yikes. Kyo- this <laughs> was Kyoto <laughs> animation Yikes. toning it down. Yeah. And there are there is more of a plot thread happening in the manga compared to the anime, but I actually think changing from that plot thread to an episodic day by day sort of exploration of life made it better and made it more charming in that manner. And so, and I'm not the only one who says that, who thinks that because Jack, who's not on here, he actually dropped the manga. He couldn't take it anymore, but he still watches the anime. He quite loves the anime. And I've also talked to people online, including on our Girl Taku Twitter, of other people who said like, yeah, they love the first season. They went to the manga because they loved the first season. And then they realized like how off it was in comparison to the anime adaptation. They're like, oh my gosh, like it's actually, they they changed something that a lot of us felt really uncomfortable on 
and not like and very critical of into something that's so incredibly cute and magical that people really like to watch and really like to take cute screenshots of. Another example of something big they changed is Ilulu, who is a new character in the second season that a lot of people got concerned of because of her ginormous boobs. That is, by the way, a manga-specific character design trait. Um, And she wasn't, like, she didn't show up until the second season. In the manga, she showed up a lot earlier. Essentially, Kyoto Animation tried everything they could to push back her, you know, somewhat problematic appearance. And now that they couldn't avoid it any further, they've also changed her involvement as well. In the manga, she, like, lusted after Kobayashi for quite some time. But even though physically she was an adult, mentally she was not quite Kana's age, but definitely not adult age. She's also in that weird, like, teen and preteen age. So her lusting after Kobayashi and stuff just was really uncomfortable. And the anime completely cut that part out. Instead, instead, they usually group her with the kids because it's almost like the production team itself knew that, hey, she's mentally more along the lines of children and not the adults, so we should put her with other kids. And and now, and the anime even, and then the anime later, she, like, takes a job at a toy store and stuff, and she befriends a teenage boy, and they are very much mentally on the same level and stuff. And I ended up liking her despite her ridiculous character design because I thought her whole little character arc was so cute and so, you know, heartfelt. And this just goes to tell that, you know, a one-on-one adaptation, I think, would have not worked at all. Kyoto Animation, you know, took I don't know if they necessarily took a risk or not to make all these changes, but I think they did make the correct choice when adapting the source material into the anime that we know today to change so many of the atmosphere and the arcs and shuffle things around and in a way kind of change the genre itself as well. Because I know for a fact that I would not enjoy this anime as much if it had been a one-to-one manga adaptation. But because it did take those risks to change things, I think it fits a lot better for the anime. And I think it makes it a better story. So yeah, that's like my pick for why, you know, anime adaptations is not as easy as a one-on-one sort of situation. If it was, we definitely wouldn't get Miss Kobayashi's Maid Dragon the way it is. Do you like Miss Kobayashi, Agnes? I definitely like Miss Kobayashi. I did feel a little bit off with the presentation of Ilulu in season two. Mm-hmm. And now that you describe it to me, it makes a lot more sense right. why Ilulu's the way that she is. Yeah. Because she's definitely a lot more toned down in the anime and portrays a more character-driven arc rather than a lustful arc for a character. Because if anything, Miss Kobayashi could just straight up become a, an actual hentai instead of like, you know, a fun, semi-fanservice-y, but kind of feelsy series. Yes, you know, it's yes. It's very different. I was so, yeah, I was exactly in your boat. I was so worried about Ulu, but then once her introduction arc got out of the way and I saw her constantly, you know, hanging out with the kids instead and playing with kids and then 
later her arc being like, oh, I do want to do something. I can work at a toy store because I like seeing kids happy and stuff like that. And she befriends someone actually like her mental age. I was like, you know what? Good for you. <laughs> you know, good for you, anime. So <laughs> I'm actually now curious about the whole like Miss Kobayashi discourse now, how the directors and the screenwriters were able to change a narrative such as that in order to make it not become a hentai, but actually like a almost family-like anime. Like, what kind of, I guess, plot holes did they have to actually wrap around from the manga and then improvise from there? Because, as you said before, you know, because there's so much more of an emphasis on the fan service side, where's the room for the plot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and that's great questions that I honestly don't have answers to. But yeah, but that also is a perfect illustration of why adaptations are a lot more difficult than what people think because it requires some workaround. It requires some writing. And I have no doubt that with the stuff they cut and the atmosphere changes that they made, they've probably had to do some heavy writing to close the scenes and make it feel as, you know, continuous as it has, you know, because I would have never guessed that the manga was different from the from the anime that much, but it really is. So, yeah. <laughs> Just want to ask, do you still read? The manga, like, you know how Jack said that he completely stopped reading, but are you still reading that, you know, and you're still comparing that to season two? Or do you think you might drop it soon, too, because you like the anime that much more? Oh, I, I dropped it. I, <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, take I a think, I think it. if, I feel like if Jack and Gracie both dropped it, there's probably some very dubious content that is not know, yeah. uh, worth looking into. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, no, definitely. It was, it, Ilulu as a character is what made Jack drop it and I don't blame him it it's like we already feel uncomfortable enough seeing her in the first few episodes of the anime so you guys have no idea what Kyoto Animation had essentially saved you guys from seeing by changing these stuff up so yeah (laughs) not all heroes wear capes eh yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so that is my pick of a good anime adaptation and my next pick, I don't nec- I don't want to say it's bad, by the way, but I do want to give like a comparison is I picked ReZero to talk about not so perfect adaptations. So the reason why I want to talk about ReZero, despite me actually praising the anime and talking about the story more than once in Girl Taku in episodes, but an important thing that has happened is between the first and the second season, while most people still really liked the second season, it was also clear that there was a good chunk of people who were huge fans of the first season that lost their love for the second season. And I completely understand why, because even me, who enjoyed it still very much, knew that there was something lost in the atmosphere, that like incredibly well-written sort of suspense that ReZero's first season was able to bring to the table was gone. And the second season at, and like several times have felt really slow where I've kind of been like, okay, let's, let's hurry up. Let's move forward. Like, I I just want to know what happens next. I don't want to keep doing this. And the shift is very much because in the first season, the production team actually did a very genuine adaptation, as in they read the light novel series and they plotted out the points and they, you know, and they cut out some things to 
create that suspense that works so well in animated form with the soundtrack and the voice acting and the animation. And they've shuffled some of the scenes around as well to take place at different times. And at one point, they even invited the ReZero author to come help them to be like, hey, we've cut some things, but we need to connect these two together and something isn't quite working. Can you help us with, you know, the dialogue maybe on what we should change in the dialogue or how we should tighten this scene to fit the other scene to like transition to the other scene better? And what resulted was an extremely masterful mystery slash like just anxiety inducing first season that had me at the edge of my seat every single episode. I when I watched ReZero, I was still in college and literally after every episode, I would run to my college roommates like room and knock on her door and just tell her everything that happened because I just had to tell someone because I was just so on edge of what's going to happen next. I definitely did not have that same feeling in season two. And it's actually because the second season was more of a one-to-one adaptation of the light novels rather than going through all that work that they did in the first season to try to make it work as an anime. Once again, I'm not saying the second season is bad. In fact, I so very much enjoyed it and I have praised before and I will say it again of, uh, oh shoot, I suddenly forgot the protagonist's name. Oh my gosh. Subaru. <laughs> yeah, Subaru. So Subaru's backstory with his like, like his really bad social anxiety that made him like essentially drop out of school like that was still excellent in my opinion I will praise that to the end of my days but it definitely lost some of that you know that that magic that the the first season had that had the entire anime community in an uproar in the second season I almost feel like especially with anime trending I almost feel like it's like that niche like re-zero fans who read the light novels that are cheering for the second season and the people on the side who don't really read the source materials have, you know, felt a lot more meh about the second season because I totally understand it. it really did feel slow in certain areas. And and so it's like this is what I was saying is a one to one adaptation sometimes actually does a disservice to the anime. And I think that actually hit ReZero second season for that reason. So, yeah, that was my second pick for the anime I want to talk about where the adaptation itself isn't exactly the best to what it can be, especially when we, we've, we've witnessed the possibility that it could have been already in the first season. And what do you think is the difference between, you know, adapting from like a light novel to, you know, anime versus kind of like a manga to anime? Because, you know, manga, ha- they already have like the character design there and then light novels they'll have some character designs but as you know when you're reading a novel it's a lot longer there maybe maybe there's more dialogue is that maybe what contributed to season two they had more spaces for dialogue or you know i just can't stop thinking about that one scene where they're sitting together and they're just talking for a long i just feel like it was for the longest time ever when i saw those scenes are you oh so you watched the second season then right just a little bit here and there. I shouldn't have, but okay. So you you actually yeah. experienced that lens thing. Yes, I I think that was it. They I think they did include every single dialogue possible from the light novel series, or as much as it pos- as they possibly could. Versus in the first season, I know for a fact, and people have talked about it, that they cut a lot of scenes to really tighten it up 
make the dialogue go faster and made the story pace at like a chef's kiss perfect pacing for the type of psychological, suspenseful, you know, isekai that ReZero is. And they definitely did not do that. In regards to your question of the difference between adaptation for light novels and manga, I do think, I do feel like light novels would require more heavy adaptation as in like changes because you're right, you know, novels have a lot of narration and if your entire anime is a bunch of narration, you're not watching anime anymore. You're basically just listening to an audiobook. So so you'd have to be able to translate that narration into like movement and dialogue and, and dialogue that's not on the nose or once again, you're sort of like, why am I not just listening to an audiobook, you know? And so... I do think it requires a little more work, but, you know, like, even with the manga, especially with Miss Kobayashi's example, like, heavy changes can be made and make it for the better as well in that case. So I think, so I think, I guess, like, I think on the uh, tier, light novels are probably a little harder to adapt than manga, but both are absolutely, should absolutely be open to any sort of major adaptations necessary to make the anime really bloom versus um versus just a one-on-one sort of return which you know i think ReZero's the second season kind of got hurt for that so yeah yeah so that's basically my two picks that i really want to talk about for adaptation uh isabel what do you have for us you know what's an anime adaptation that just really spoke out to you and an anime adaptation that you know, you really want to talk about that you think they could have done better and stuff. Yeah, the first one I want to talk about is actually One Punch Man. I think the adaptation was great, especially for the first season, at least. I know there are complaints about the second season all, but I actually thought the second season was kind of okay. For most of the anime, they actually try to stay really faithful to the manga and the story behind the webcomic as well. So for One Punch Man, it's it flows in from the webcomic form uh, written by the author one to uh, the manga that's redrawn and kind of redesigned by uh, Yusuke Murata. And I just feel like that flow between the webcomic to the manga and then, of course, to the anime just makes it so special because of the way that each form is. You know, the webcomic is more kind of um, has simpler drawings, but it's very, it's very dedicated to the story and the characters. And the manga just make just makes that almost ten times better with the redesign and character design as well. And there's a lot more um, scenes where it contributes to where the fight is, where the fights are happening, basically. And then the anime, I feel like it also does a great job in terms of kind of slowing down the pace and also making the pace faster when, especially when there are fights that happen. Because in One Punch Man, there's this balance between a slice of life and action and it I feel like that would be so hard to do because slice of life is so slow they're trying they're doing daily things and then all of a sudden you know something happens and Saitama's going off to go fight a monster uh, but he's making jokes about it because he can totally just finish it with one punch right mm-hmm. so and the anime focuses more on the parody and comedy and the action instead of the story so much it follows the storyline but I feel like in, especially in the manga, there are these uh, nice little extras or side stories of just like they're just having like little days off. And I feel like this could have been inter- 
in the anime as well, it would have contributed to the world building and everything, but um, it's not in there. And so the, it's just a very special piece to the manga as well. But even though even though th- that's not in there, I feel like the anime did a great job of kind of taking those scenes and then making those full-on fights, especially between Saitama and Genos, for example. Just kind oh, that of was a good one. The that sheer really power, good. right? Yeah. Compared to like the manga, it was mm-hmm. like it really elevated that entire scene from like book pages to uh, comic pages to actual animation. It was so good. Exactly. I cannot like I really love just rewatching those scenes because you can definitely feel feel how the how the fight is. Um, yeah, it's like electrifying and very impactful. Exactly, and then you can see how powerful Saitama just is from one punch. You'll see like the wind behind it, and then them just dashing around really just is so impactful and so amazing to me which is why i really like it and and i feel like all forms are very good to either read or watch and i and that's why season two was so hyped because you know after season seeing season one i feel like all the fans just wanted more and they still uh, you know stay true to the character designs i feel like the character designs one punch man are also uh very interesting when you when they expand the hero world Sometimes I feel like that kind of world is does better than My Hero Academia um, because these characters are so in their own world. They're so powerful and they just um, have their own characteristics that really are shown in the anime as well. So you said that the anime had a bigger focus on the parody. Is that what you were saying? Or Right. Uh, just parodying kind of the Saitama in general. I feel like the focusing on his character and uh, the comedy tried to make the scenes more funnier. They added in like uh, more things that weren't in the manga. Oh, they like stretch out those scenes because when you first read the manga, it's actually really fast. It goes, it's like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. But then in the anime, they actually kind of drag it out. Um, There's one, especially when Saitama is just trying to fight a fly in his room. What? <laughs> the classic yes. fly queen yes yes he's trying to slap a fly around in his room and that happens within like a couple of pages honestly in the manga but in in the episode you'll you know you'll see him fighting with it for a while and then it'll cut to the scene where uh genos is fighting against the mosquito lady and then oh. yeah and then you cut back to the scene where Saitama's still in his apartment trying to swat the fly and yes then, i remember this Right, so I just feel like that adaptation was great because it's kind of like a cutscene in the middle of the anime, and then right, you go back to right. it. And you said and you that just, wasn't mm-hmm. in the manga, or it was like, or it was just quicker in the manga. It just felt quicker in the manga. There was still mm. that scene, but I feel like the anime definitely made that, you know, with the time and how long it is. Because when you're reading fast, especially if you're reading manga, you can just scroll through it, and then you'll be like, "Oh, that's funny, right?" But in the anime, you're like forced to sit there and watch what happens. So you're kind of there with him trying to swat the fly for however long and then you come back to it (laughs) okay that makes sense that's really i did not know that because i did not read the manga as i have spoken earlier before that i don't usually read the source material and it sounds like agnes you've also read the source material for one punch man is it the same experience for you as well in regards to the adaptation how they actually and arc and it's funny because in ReZero, I think they should have cut things and like you know zero or like you know 
uh, cut things in a season two and sort of like did what they did in the first season. But then for One Punch Man, it's like they added stuff into it and the added stuff enhances the story and enhances the quality of the anime. Do you feel that way as well? Oh, I definitely did. I mean, if you look at the original concept of One Punch Man as the webcomic for one, it's a lot more, I guess, minimalistic in design and as Isabel says, more focused on story. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's adaptable to be translated for big screen because mm. like all of us know, a lot of anime fans are very monkey brain and like <laughs> things that are fast, quick, fun, impactful. <laughs> and so you need to be able to craft that or else you just get a very flat and plain story like how they did with ReZero. That's the main issue. So the fact that they keep adding more and more but knowing just enough when to stretch out certain moments is the key to actually creating a better adaptation. Yes, no, that is, especially the mosquito scene, and, like, now that, when you start talking about it in more details, I remember now, and I remember laughing my head off in that sort of cut back and forth, so that's really cool that this was something that they added in and elongated, because it really worked, mm -hmm. it really just worked so well for the animation medium, so, uh, chef's kiss. <laughs> Oh, so that is your good adaptation then, which is really cool since I've never, once again, since I haven't read the manga. So now that I am aware of that fact, so I'm able to appreciate, especially the first season, a lot more. So what do you have for an adaptation that you were either disappointed in or just, you know, wanted to talk a little more about in regards to not like that sort of not that they didn't milk the best they could with the medium that of animation? <laughs> Yeah, so my choice for that one is in Inspector. Oh, okay. Yeah, that one I was really excited for because I had read the manga and I thought it was amazing. And the fact, and when the anime was announced, I I was I was on the train for it. I definitely wanted to watch it. It was my, like my first, you know, for pick for that season. But when I ended up watching it. For me, it didn't feel as fun as when I when I was reading the manga, and the reason why I fell in love with the manga first is because of the characters, uh, Kotoko and Kuro. I feel like they're just like two different types of characters. They kind of make a perfect whole together because one is the god of wisdom, which is Kotoko, and then Kuro, who's kind of uh, someone that's uh, freaks out all the other supernatural creatures. So they're kind of opposites, but when they come together, and then they, and then the series that's focused on you know, possible love, romance, and mystery all together uh, really drew me in. And uh, the yeah, the biggest thing I had with Inspector was really just the pacing of the story. Okay. And even though I feel like it definitely adapted a lot of the stuff from the manga, it it just felt like the dialogue scenes were too long, and it got boring for me. Mm. <laughs> even though I wasn't bored while reading the manga, so I felt really bad because I I remember just sitting through one of the episodes, like in the middle of the series. They were like sitting in a room just talking about the case because that's what they do, right? They're trying to figure oh, out. Oh, is this the the black the the black faced woman case? Yes, that one. Yeah, I know exactly what scene you're talking about. That felt really long too. <laughs> took forever. I was like, they're just talking and talking. Can I watch? Like, can can we have some like you know cutscenes? Like that's why I think it's better to have, especially if there's long dialogues, which is inevitable in mystery series or like detective series. You know, because they're going over um, like evidence or events leading up to something that's important to have those uh, scenes in between or just like a picture of what's happening instead of the characters like sitting in a room and discussing it um, I feel that even though they're trying to bring you in there and have you listen to the conversation 
it actually gets boring because I have to read the subtitles too. And <laughs> I have to read the subtitles too. <laughs> yeah. It's an audiobook and a book all in one. Exactly. Oh no, that, that's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where the pitfall of mysteries is, is because the author who writes the dialogue and the script writers and the screenwriters will do their ultimate best to break down the entire mystery for you, but do not understand the concept of show, not tell when it comes to animation. So then that's why you end up with scenes like in Inspector, where it's just dragged out so long because they have to tell you everything without giving the audience room to infer it from themselves, from just like visuals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in that case, you know what's funny is you actually uh, touched on this, Isabel, with One Punch Man. You were talking about how the pacing is different in manga versus anime because anime you have to sit there and experience it and then in manga you can just flip through easily Mm -hmm. and skim and read faster this is why you know all that long dialogue in the manga i can see absolutely work because you can flip through those pages (laughs) you know you can skim those words and you know what happens but you absolutely cannot do that in an anime so that's exactly what i'm hearing in regards to why this like here's all the dialogue and let's put it in exactly as it is, is like, it doesn't work, you know? (laughs) It's like trying to do a two times uh, speed in a lecture, kind of, (laughs) when there's way too much information that you're trying to understand, but you have no patience to sit through it. (laughs) It's funny because now I'm like trying to think of anime, like mystery anime of... There's a lot. There's a lot. Of like, but... There's a lot that do that. I was thinking of just mystery anime adaptations that actually do it correctly because and what's funny is the first few that come to my oh, mind yeah, i'm yeah. like oh they're all originals <laughs> so, like, yeah originals is because it's written by like actual like directors and script writers right. so they know how the pacing is going to be like in a tv animation but when it's adapting from especially light novels light novels even though it's supposed to be a light novel they're usually extraordinarily pedantic in a lot of their wording even in the english translations when i read some of them too and i'm just like god help me right <laughs> i feel like the only one potentially that pulled it off the best it could was probably erased even if we've talked about how the ending is disappointing and even if we've talked about how the perpetrator, unfortunately, was really obvious, especially with the voice, you know, like, yes, that that part is unfortunate. But I feel like the way they milked the other parts of the story, especially the more emotional parts with uh, Kaya, uh, Kayo in regards to her abusive parental situation and I think is probably why the anime managed to be a lot more successful in regards to the adapting of it versus, you know, like we're talking about with Inspector. That's the one that comes to mind immediately for me, at least. That makes more sense. Yeah, that that definitely, I would not say like Erased was a bad adaptation. In fact, it was a good adaptation minus for the ending. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Well, that's, yeah, and I've watched Inspector. I didn't read the manga and I'm on the same page as you, Isabel, in regards to... I actually did really like the two main characters. I think they had a lot of mm-hmm. chemistry with each other, for sure. Really, really shipped them. But the dialogue, the explaining, really just went on and on and on, you know, sort of thing. But uh, if I can just pick your brains really, really quickly, how do you think you should properly adapt these sort of exposition, long conversations that you can get away with in printed forms such as manga and novels and light novels like how would you get away from it and when you're animating it you know 
Yeah, I really, I'm really not too sure. I think just having kind of like backstory or kind of flashbacks or what's happening what, as they're talking or even just cutting it short, to be honest. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm like Agnes said, yeah. you can have the reader infer things, right? You don't need yes, to yes. tell them everything about it. You can just show them a scene maybe because you have this form uh, that's different than what what's in the manga or light novel that you can probably cut those scenes shorter, have a better pacing. Like if it needs to be sped up, then have it sped up, right? Mm-hmm. So I think in yeah, in those cases, you don't need a one-to-one adaptation kind of, or maybe even shifting the scenes around. Uh, that might work as well. And yeah, the other adaptation, I like Rakugo, for example, was, you know, that's a lot of talking. Rakugo's. Story but chef's kiss. Right? So chef's kiss. it's like part of the voice actor and then also kind of like the dynamic cuts they have to like expressions. Yes. Okay. Yes. Inspector is hard too because Kuro is expressionless and Kotoko is kind of like an info dump when she speaks sometimes. So I feel like the characters also kind of made it hard. Um, but yeah, I think maybe like more you know, focus on the emotions and things like that maybe kind of makes would make it more interesting and you know, you might be able to get away with that. Well, I mean, I'm disappointed to hear that Inspector is actually really fun in a manga form because it definitely I I held on because I like Kotoko and Kuro's relationship a lot <laughs> and I still really do. But I definitely think it lagged and a lot of people had actually expressed that because and the premiere episode did a really good job too. But then when they we enter the arc is when things really slow down. I don't know. Like, yeah, I definitely think if it really is as close to the manga adaptation as you said, like that, you know, panel, panel, dialogue to dialogue sort of thing. You know, this shows that sometimes it's it doesn't work for the medium. You got to switch things up. You got to change things up to make right. it work better. So in that regard, uh, Agnes, it is now your turn. So what do you have picked for a good adaptation in regards to anime that might have made, you know, ri- take, taken risks and made changes? And what's an adaptation that you really want to talk about that you feel like just wasn't the right thing to do? My top pick, because adaptations is kind of like a one, is kind of like an eh thing to me. Usually if I see something that's being animated in, from something that I've read before, like in a manga light novel, I'll just be like, oh, cool, it gets an anime, watch the first couple episodes. If they're doing okay, I won't watch the rest of it. I'm just like, they'll, they'll be fine. <laughs> and that's usually my mentality. I just go watch other things like original series or not watch anything at all because it's just like, they'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one show that really took me by surprise, and I think, they did this well, is actually Ancient Magus Bride. Okay. is a manga that I kept up for a very, very long time. I have a lot of thoughts about it because it's very complicated in terms of human interpersonal relationships. But the one ending that made me super surprised is the fact that Chise marries Elias by the end of the anime. Oh, yes! And that does not happen in the manga. They've never gotten married. Yes, I remember that scene too. Okay, okay. So you like that. I think the reason why I like it is because it's different, but it makes sense from an industry point of view because they're trying to bring like a finality for the audience to feel satisfied. Mm. Because the way that the anime ends, it ends on the Cartophilus arc, where she, spoilers for anybody who was waiting to finish Ancient Magus Bride, she absorbs the curse of Joseph into her and essentially becomes kind of an immortal and she also inherits a dragon's arm as well. But it kind of gets cut short there because the manga 
uh, is only a monthly release, and it tends to drag on for quite a while. Um, and the next arc, which is the college arc, had not been written out yet. So for the animators to decide that let's put a wedding scene in here really cements the idea, or like the end game idea of Elias and, uh, and Chise, because that never happens in the manga. They just kind of like continue their days as a, a, a partnership and trying to learn more about each other rather than, than having an actual wedding. Okay. So I thought that was very interesting. I thought like that was a very novel. It's not exactly no- okay. I take that back. It's not exactly novel, but it's a good way to trick your audience into feeling like, oh wow, I'm so in love with the characters because you know they got married. You know, it's a happy <laughs> ending, and then you can just stop watching the series right there, and the season ends safely. Mm, okay, so because there's a lot of older animes where like they'll either try to repurpose an entire ending and like make up their new ending like in Fruits Basket or whatever, and it's not. Very oh, we're not talking about well the remake, by the way. So yeah, but continue. Oh, we're not, yeah, we're talking about the old, the old, the, the the original series, right? And so at least a lot of people are unsatisfied or leaving it on a cliffhanger is even worse because of how slow the manga has been updating recently due to author's health, research, and etc. So they made a good call by actually having a wedding scene at the very end. Like you're really impressed with the fact that they found a way to tie up an arc that can either be taken as this is the end and leave audiences satisfied while at the same time not completely closing the loop where if it is like the arcs continue you're like yeah I kind of expected that at the same time like sort of yes exactly yeah I am really curious on whether since now that I know the scene at the very end wasn't in the manga I'm really curious if you know they were they ever consulted the mangaka to help them in the same way that ReZero's first season consulted the author to help them with their adaptations and stuff because it felt seamless. Uh, I don't know. Isabel, did you watch the anime? I did watch the anime. I didn't read the manga, but I do agree that as the anime was ending, I I was thinking, I know the manga is still ongoing. How are they going to end this? Or it feels like there shouldn't really be an end like am I gonna get a season two like I was wondering and then when the ending came up I also was satisfied in a sense I'm like oh okay that's that's a good way to end it I guess and I felt satisfied from that um but yeah it's a good addition I feel like as well and those are my thoughts on that Mm -hmm. well as someone who hasn't read the manga I I really am quite shocked that this was an original scene because I it felt like it went right into it and there was like you know, there was, like, no gaps or anything. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it felt like it was supposed to be there. <laughs> yeah, the way that the manga... It might have been maybe a deleted scene from the original manga. I have no idea because I just read the manga source. I didn't read up on interviews and stuff like that for the creation of Ancient Magus Bride. But I do know that throughout the series of the manga, it emphasizes a lot on Elias and Chisei, like, establishing boundaries within their relationship like what's good what you, what you can't overstep and like communication is key so the fact that they finished the cardophilus arc which is probably one of the biggest turning uh one of the biggest uh turning points of their relationship and ending it with marriage is very much like a good way to solve it i guess so 
Versus in the manga, the development of their relationship continues. And you can clearly see in the college arc that they're kind of like the married couple that understands each other's habits, but are willing to support each other in that <laughs> regard. Oh, um, they just be like, yeah, you're kind of crazy, but all right, we'll go with it. And we'll make sure to keep ourselves in line kind of thing. So they kind of like acknowledge it without having to go through the, the whole marriage process. The whole marriage process, I think, is a very like psychological thing in a lot of people where it's like the end game and you think like ha- everything's happily ever after. Versus the reality is, no, marriage is not necessarily endgame. It's the long-term communication and maintaining the relationship that matters. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. Well, that's really interesting. I would have never guessed that, for sure. So the fact that it was just as seamless as it was and they added that scene, like, I really like that. That makes me happy. In regards to the adaptation then that you weren't exactly the most satisfied with, what do you got for us? <laughs> Okay, I got, okay, when you were introducing at the beginning of this episode about, like, Attack on Titan, I was, like, super heated, because I'm just like, y'all remember Attack on Titan had really shit drawings, <laughs> like, straight up, it was not polished, and Wood Studio did try to do the best that they could to adapt the manga to the best of their abilities, and the same thing goes for My Hero Academia as well, you won't be able to get a 100% match Now, if you want to talk about shows that have a 100% match, one-on-one adaptation, frame-by-frame, panel-by-panel, you're going to be in for a very, very boring time. And one of the the two series that I'm going to spotlight here is uh, Tokyo ESP and season one of Golden Kamui. Oh, you didn't like season one. Okay, okay, that's a shock. Season one, so Noda is known in all of his, in the entirety of Golden Kamui to have very intricate drawings that are absurdly accurate, like to what present day articles of clothing of the Ainu is, the food, etc. And the gore as well. And also facial expressions as well. It's like a unique signature, like part of him. But in season one, they try to emulate so much of his style that it's too flat. Okay. They don't try to add like their own creative spin to the scene, like change a little bit of the lighting, change a bit of the camera angle. It's presented like side by side comparison, except in color. Mm. Oh, okay. So when you're reading it from the manga perspective, you're kind of like, yeah, the charm of Noda is there. But you don't feel like the anime has elevated beyond that. And it's just trying to copy pasta what Noda has been doing. I will say I did enjoy the second season more and I will say that the second season overall has gotten much better reviews than the first season. Yes, second season and third season, I think Geno Studio realized like we can experiment and risk a little bit more. So they added different camera angles that aren't necessarily uh, concrete to the manga. So like uh, there's a scene where I think it was that was most impressed with was in season two, it's the arc where they find the taxonomist. Yes, yes. And they're oh, trying yeah. to grab for the skins. So the scene that I'm talking about is specifically Ogata versus um, Tsukishima, where Ogata's trying to like sneak into the house and Tsukishima's, uh, no, Tsukishima's trying to sneak into the house and Ogata is there. And they're having this fight scene of Ogata trying to shoot Tsukishima. And what the animation does really well is the camera paneling of Ogata having to like roll out of the way or like Tsukushima having to roll out of the way to avoid a shot. Mm, oh my gosh. And so that feels like, it feels kinetic. You feel like you're moving with the characters yes, rather than I, just I actually like remember that really well. And I was, and I was yeah. at the same time being like, I don't know who to root for. <laughs> so- yeah, like you feel like you feel the rush, you feel the adrenaline. And that's like the creative spin that I want to see when 
anime adaptations are lifted from the manga. And it's the same way, it's the same way like how we talked about with One Punch Man, how it feels different, even though it's abiding faithfully to the story. Mm, Okay, that makes sense. So season one fails in that regard. And Tokyo ESP is also uh, one of the biggest gripes that I've had because it's a series that I really enjoyed reading for a very, very long time. I don't know if you two watched it or remember it at all. I'm afraid I, I don't, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's fine because it was probably a very shit adaptation anyway. So, <laughs> the re- the reason why Tokyo ESP falls flat is because it does take immediate uh, lifting of the panels from the manga. So when you do a side-by-side comparison, you feel like a lot of the action scenes don't have enough impact, or you feel like you don't necessarily click with the characters. Um, especially, so in the very first chapter, the, our main protagonist suddenly develops this power that allows her to phase through objects. And the funny thing is, she doesn't know how to control those powers. Like, for some reason, many people across the city have been experiencing this, like, supernatural phenomenon, and they are suddenly, like, unleashing their powers. And in her one scene, she is literally phasing from sitting in her apartment into phasing directly into the garage below her and straight through a car. And she doesn't know how to stop it. But the way that the anime adapts it is that it's taking it panel by panel, like, from the manga. So you feel like you're just kind of reading, like, a gif i guess or you feel like you you're just kind of like watching the manga as if it's animated by somebody in like uh like photoshop or uh, adobe and it feels very flat it doesn't feel like you know you feel her palpable fear as she's phasing through everything and there's no sense of gravity or ground to catch her it does have really bad scores from public forums wow and actually the synopsis sounds interesting too (laughs) the synopsis is very the whole series is actually very interesting um the author is actually also the uh the mangaka for gare for gare which is also a fairly popular series back in the day but yeah the anime adaptation did not get enough justice it was i don't think it was very good so they did not make use of their actual animation their angles they could have you know employed like you talked about with golden kamui season two and like the music i'm guessing they also didn't do a great job with yeah zebek didn't really try so hard and eventually zebek ended up selling their company to sunrise so there's that too. Ah, okay um. <laughs> Even though, like, Zebek actually had a lot of titles to their names. Like, they were uh, originally the animation studio for, like, Love Hina, Shaman King, To Love Rue, and stuff like that. So those are, like, really big titles. But, yeah, they really failed on the adaptation for Tokyo ESP. That's really disappointing. Because, actually, if it had come out, like, today, and I read that synopsis, I would definitely go for it. You know, like, I would totally oh, absolutely. watch it. Yeah, it was super interesting. The MC is, like, very kick-ass. Um, it's like everything that you can ask for in a modern day anime context, you know, the, the main love interest, the male love interest is like very goofy kind of thing. Um, and he's kind of a dork compared to the main girl, but he's not like the barbaric warrior. He's more of like the sly trickster sort of thing. Uh, female girl is very badass. You know, she, she phases through things, but she can like reappear and she fights with like batons and stuff. So it's very interesting. Honestly, though, like fate, if she, like with her power with phasing, like animation could do so much with that. Yeah, yeah. it could do so much. But if, but for some reason, yeah, Tokyo ESP did not go very well. And that's an example of why one to one adaptations is not always the best, even in terms of like drawings. And you have to also consider that for a lot of these animation studios where they're basically like black market, they're like 
what is it called? Like black companies where they're like work to the death. Sells at work sometimes black. They, <laughs> yes, yeah, sells at work black, right? Like sometimes they have to do stuff like that because, well, you know, they don't have enough time. They don't have enough resources. And it's very taxing on the animators. But people should also understand that as well and not nitpick, especially at a studio like Bones where they have a massive production uh, line and that they have to keep to a schedule in order to appease to a majority of fans in general. Mm-hmm, for sure. And it has been really frustrating to see that because – some people have already noted it on social media, especially the older fans, because we're older now, guys, but especially the older yeah. fans where they're remembering stuff, risks that anime has taken in the past before the source material purists started to become more outspoken where they're like, actually, that worked great for the anime. Like, maybe it wouldn't have worked for the manga, but it certainly worked great for the anime. And, you know, and it's like, but people are, but I don't know if necessarily they are more scared or not, but I think if, if thousands and thousands and thousands of foreign people who are writing in a language that you do not understand or you're not fluent in, is bombarding you on your social media with stuff of why did you mess it up? You know, why did you change things and stuff like that? That's really scary. You know, like... I- no, that's absolutely scary. Yeah, because you're trying to appease to a public that you don't really know about. Exactly. And so it feels like production companies might be, and I say might because obviously there's no confirmation of that, but might be, you know, stepping back from doing these adaptational changes that really elevates the story in anime form because of the fact that they're scared of what might happen if a fan base does that. And I I have to tell you, the Attack on Titan thing really, really upset me. And I, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope the second core that's coming out in 2022 is not gonna is not gonna result in this, but you know who knows. They were hunting down separate animators' Twitter profiles and just tweeting That's at toxic. them. Oh, yeah, no. and like being like, you know, why did you change this and stuff like that. And one animator actually had a tweet in English and say, "I didn't even work on this episode," and I was just like do you feel good that you did this? Like, do you feel good about yourself? Because I would be beyond embarrassed if something like that happened to me. No, it's because the internet is so anonymous now and that we have access to this stuff that no one feels a remote amount of shame. Ugh. Well, anyway, because of that, uh, especially with what happened, not only, um, not that it was intentional, but I did form this topic originally from what happened with Attack on Titan, but then there was that whole My Hero Academia blow up thing that I just felt like it was necessary to discuss in this week's episode that, hey, look, guys, adaptational changes can actually really, really elevate a story. Look at One Punch Man, uh, especially the first season, you know, look at, um, you know, look at Miss Kobayashi's. Look at how Golden Conway season two improved from season one, how ReZero season one was considered better of the two seasons. And, you know, look at how Ancient Magnus Bride adding it a whole entire scene became iconic for the anime. Like, I think most people know about that scene despite having never watched the actual anime. Yeah, it's, it's like no one remembers anything about like the mystery, the yeah. characters. It's just that one wedding scene. That's it. And that that's like. How many views does it have on Crunchyroll's channel now? I'm pretty sure it has at least like several hundred thousand views. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And so and so it just shows that, you know, and with our examples as well with anime that did do one one to one adaptations, it just doesn't it's not 
It does not mean a perfect formula. Adaptations are harder than what most people realize and does require creative flex to get it to work in a really good and magical way. So that's what I ultimately wanted to profess <laughs> to our audience in this episode. And, you know, the ladies here have also agreed with me in that case. Uh, one final note for everyone listening who, you know, thank you for listening to us once again this week. Agnes will be abandoning us. No, I'm joking. She's not abandoning no! us. Hi, Agnes. <laughs> she is uh she is fleeing the country to another country. Yes, I have become a proud expat of America. <laughs> As we go through these very turbulent times. No, she No, I'm actually going on vacation. Yes, she's going on vacation for three weeks. So unfortunately you won't be hearing us for the next three weeks. But in the meantime, if you guys have any anime topics, suggestions that you would like us to cover, please feel free to tell us because we are more than happy to add it to our ever-growing list. And uh, yeah, so we will, instead of saying, saying, you know, uh, hope to see you guys next time, I will simply say we will see you guys later. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.